where we drop truth bombs, hit tough conversations, bring some sassy, raw, real topics, and some badass fun. I'm your host, Lori Mort. Let's journey together on this roller coaster ride set to empower us, enlighten us, invigorate us, energize us, and just help us keep rocking our bodies and rocking our lives. Hey friends, Dr. Kelsey is back in the house with me today on this episode. And Dr. Kelsey Asplin is a naturopathic doctor from Colorado, and she is such a rad chick with so much natural medicine, information to share, fun times, and she's back. She's going to be back as a regular, and I can't wait to have her on the program with lots of juicy stuff today. Dr. Kelsey, how are you? I'm so good, Lori. So Welcome great back. to be back. Yeah. yeah I'm, I, I, it's funny because I was thinking of topics that we could cover and I, I think I have about a 10 part Netflix series that we can, <laughs> <laughs> we can do. So this is just welcome back. This isn't the last time we're going to see you, but today I want to talk about the thyroid thyroid. Yes. And I mean, this is, is something I'm very passionate about. I think because I've struggled for a while with, with it. And then I see a lot of clients that I know are struggling as well. And are often not diagnosed, misdiagnosed, or just kind of feeling like you're always being told you're normal in the traditional medical system. First of all, let's just go right into the thyroid. Yes, let's. So I see so many patients who have thyroid, what I'll say dysfunction, right? Because that doesn't necessarily mean it's like a diagnosable low thyroid or high thyroid or Hashimoto's or Graves, but maybe a um, subclinical hypothyroidism. So maybe the labs wouldn't wouldn't quite qualify by insurance purposes for a diagnosis. But when I look at it from my lens, I can see that maybe it's not working optimally for them. And that's, that was my case because I would go to, I mean, we'll talk about testing. We'll talk about all of that a little bit later, but I was always told in the traditional medical system, you're normal, you know, mm-hmm. you're in the normal zone and the normal zone is such a wide area. <laughs> There's, <Yes. laughs> it's, I went to an endocrinologist, same thing. They, they said, you know, we put you in the normal box. So mm-hmm. there's not a lot that they can do past that. And so you're kind of pushed out of the office feeling like you're being told you're normal, but you have such a list of things that you don't feel normal. It's affecting your day-to-day life and symptoms that aren't being treated because you're being told you're normal. So let's talk about blood testing. Let's talk about when we go and get our thyroid tested, what happens in the traditional medical Right. So first of all, I think it's important to understand, and this kind of goes for everything, not just thyroid, right? Is that in the conventional medical world, because it is mostly really dictated and run by insurance, that is going to do, that's going to determine why people are going to say you're normal is if you fall within that, that little reference range, right? (laughs) And the reference ranges on any lab are going to be slightly different between every single lab. So they're not locked in stone and they are usually based off of a standard population, which is your average white male. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be taking into consideration a much, a much larger population. And then the way that they develop those ranges is they actually take that average white male standard group that they say are healthy. They measure all of their thyroid in this case and say, okay, the average between all these people is right here. And we're going to take 1.5 standard deviations to each side. And that becomes the range. 
And so it immediately discounts anybody who falls outside of that quote unquote now normal range. Um, and because insurance plays such a big role in this, if you don't fall outside of that, then they're not going to cover any kind of treatment or care. So typically, when you were to go to a conventional medical provider, what insurance is going to allow them to run is usually your TSH, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone, and maybe your free T4. And T4 is thyroxine. And that's kind of it. And that gives you a very limited picture of what is actually happening with the thyroid. So I'm going to explain the hormones a little bit. I usually draw pictures here for my patients. <laughs> so I'm going to try to make, try to simplify this. So there's basically a game of telephone that happens in any of our hormone systems, right? A message is initiated somewhere, typically up top, and then it kind of carries down through this cascade of events. So the first thing that's going to happen is your brain actually releases the TSH. So it stands for, again, thyroid stimulating hormone. So it stimulates the thyroid. It's not actually one of the hormones that affects your body. It's what affects the thyroid. So that little hormone chemical goes down through your brain and hits your thyroid and tells your thyroid to make thyroid hormone. And the thyroid makes two different hormones. It makes T4, which is thyroxine, and T3, which is triiothyronine. And those two are the hormones that actually affect your body cells. Those are the things that control your appetite, your energy, your internal temperature, all of those types of things. And T4, the one that is often tested, gets converted into T3. Okay. So the thing to keep in mind is that your T3 hormone is actually the most active hormone that's going to have the biggest impact on your body. And most of the time that's never even tested. So the problem here <laughs> is that if your brain is sending an adequate message via the TSH to the thyroid and the thyroid is listening and promoting enough T4 on paper, you're going to look fine. It's like, oh, the message is getting to your thyroid and the thyroid's listening. But if it's not actually converting into the active form, then your cells aren't getting the benefit of it. And so this is a huge problem is if we're not looking at this full picture, right? Um, when I work with patients, I actually test four different hormones at the very beginning. There's another hormone that most people don't think about, don't talk about. And honestly, there's actually not a ton of research behind it. It's a little bit more theoretical and I'm totally transparent about that with my patients, but there's a hormone you can test called reverse T3. And the theory or the thought about it is that your, your T3 and T4 hormones have to get pushed inside of your cells. They don't just kind of like, they're not just in the lazy river of your bloodstream and then just kind of passively diffuse into your cells. They have to be pushed into your cells using cellular energy, which is ATP. And I'm sure you've talked about that on here before. If for whatever reason you don't have enough ATP because your mitochondria are tired, whatever, you just don't have enough, the T4 that's sitting outside of your hormone will actually convert to reverse T3. And so if you test that, and if that number is really high, then again, that tells you your hormone isn't getting inside of your cells. And so if you, if you actually can look at this full picture, then you can see from beginning to end what's happening and actually understand where the problem is. Is it the brain's message to the thyroid? Is it the thyroid's production of hormones? Or is it that your hormones just aren't getting inside your cells? That's a lot more complex though yes. than like, hey, you're normal, see you later. It, right. And that's where I, the same thing up here in Canada, they only test TSH unless you really, really push hard and you got to push your doctors. Even then when they send you to the lab, you have to pay out of pocket. You have to pull out your bank card or, or your visa or, or credit card 
and pay $100 just to get them to look at your T3. Yep. And so it's one of those things where, and it is, it's so complex, but they make it seem like it's so easy. We're just going to test your TSH. That's it. And then you're normal, move along, you're on your way. Right. What what happens in in the naturopathic medicine when you do the blood work? Is that just a given that you're that you're always testing those four things? Well, I think it probably depends on the provider. I can tell you that for me, because my work is not covered by insurance in Colorado and I don't take insurance. I, I mean, I can kind of run whatever I want. <laughs> you can tell, or I can run whatever my patients want. And so that is part of my standard lab work that I do with patients, because I think in some ways it's somewhat pointless to run a thyroid panel unless you're going to do all of them because it's giving you an incomplete picture. So that's, that is basic for me. And then if, if those look wonky or if I have any concern at the gate, I'm usually adding on two or even three additional thyroid labs to look for antibodies. So I could be doing up to seven different labs just around thyroid which I mean, that's so much more than most patients are used to seeing. And so we can get a, a really good picture because there's even patients who their labs will come back and be quote unquote normal. Like even all four of them, I'll run them. But you know, if I'm looking at them from more of a functional medicine lens or looking at them from optimal and there's something in there that even though it's within the reference range, it seems a little off to me. When I run their autoimmune antibodies, it, half the time they come back elevated. And so if you were to go to a conventional provider, they'd be like, oh, you're fine. When in fact, it turns out that you actually have Hashimoto's (laughs) or Graves disease, you know? And let's talk about, let's talk about those two things as well as hypo and hyper. What's the difference? Let's go into those four different, because those are the main ones we hear about. Yes. So the first thing to categorize is hypo versus hyper. Hypothyroid is low thyroid. Hyperthyroid is high. Okay, so low thyroid, I would say, is significantly more common than hyperthyroid. Um, it affects a lot of people. It seems to affect women a little bit more heavily than men. Um, and it's also not uncommon for this to show up in, the, in people's 30s. Like they'll, they'll be fine. And then suddenly they hit their 30s and boom, it comes in. So symptoms, it, the way that I think about thyroid, which will help understand symptoms is it's kind of like adding coal to your furnace. If thyroid's like the coal that gets the body moving, right? So if you don't have enough coal, then your metabolism is going to slow down. You're going to be colder. You're going to be more fatigued, lethargic, might have more brain fog. Um, your hair, your skin, your nails will dry out or get brittle or start to fall out or thin um, in the in the scalp area. And it's, it's just like everything slows down, right? People have trouble losing weight. They gain weight a lot more easily. Everything just kind of like gets slow and heavy. Hyperthyroid's on the other side of that, right? So if you're just like shoveling coal into a furnace, everything's going to go way high. So people's metabolism are going to speed up significantly. It's going to be really hard for them to put on weight. They are going to tend to be very hot. They're going to tend to be very anxious. Uh, they're, they're just running a little bit too quickly. But I will say that anxiety can show up with either. People tend to think that anxiety happens more with hyper because your heart rate can be higher and that tends to stimulate an anxiety reaction. Um, but a lot of people when they're really, really tired or stressed or just kind of like not getting enough energy can also get that stress anxiety reaction. So those are kind of our categories. Hashimoto's and Graves fit into there. They're just the autoimmune versions of them. So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune thyroid version of hypothyroidism. 
where you have your body's attacking your thyroid or some part of that thyroid stream process that we talked about, and it ends up creating a low thyroid picture. Graves' disease is the other side where it's an autoimmune that creates a hyperthyroid, which is significantly less common than Hashimoto's. Hashimoto's seems to be all over the place. And is it the treatment the same for hypo and Hashimoto's? And is the treatment not necessarily? The same? No. They can certainly overlap for sure. You know, I think a lot of people, and it kind of depends on the severity of your symptoms and also your labs. I think, I think thyroid is really one of those places where symptoms really matter a lot. Like it's not just about the numbers on the paper, right? I mean, I have patients who have autoimmune thyroid that their numbers are, are concerning, but they feel great <laughs> you know? and they don't feel any better on meds. And so it's one of those things that it may not be worth putting them on it right away, you know? So I would say with my, with, with, autoimmune people, you have, there's just this extra layer that you have to be mindful of, right? Because you don't want to overstimulate their immune system because that could aggravate the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to be more careful with things that can cause a cross reactivity. So in pretty much every Hashimoto's patient I have, they have to be gluten-free because the structure of the gluten protein actually mimics the thyroid tissue. And so if they have an autoimmune condition and they eat gluten, it can trigger a autoimmune storm in the body. So there's just some diff, there's just some differences or some, uh, more things you have to look out for in an autoimmune uh, but I think with any of those people, there are so many things you can do nutritionally and with supplements to help support not just the thyroid, but also thyroid hormone conversion. And then there's always a place for medications. This is definitely one of those places that I think thyroid meds are very useful and very benign. And like, I don't really have a concern with using them if, if they're warranted. And let's talk about meds. Let's talk yeah. about medications. Then we'll dive into supplements and more sure. holistic things that we can do. In terms of medications, when you're hypo, what are we looking at? So most of the time people are put on levothyroxine or some form of that, which is a synthetic form of T4 hormone. So remember we talked about TSH and then the thyroid produces T4. That's the most common medication that's given. Um, and the idea behind that is, again, because they're usually only testing TSH and T4, is that if you have, if you give T4, the assumption is that your body will know how to convert it into T3 and your cells will be happy and everything will be great. <laughs> and that works for a lot of people, but for the people who are having trouble making that conversion happen, which can be like a nutrient deficiency, you know, that, and we'll talk about that with supplements. There's a number of things that can affect that. Then those people may benefit from either an added T3 medication, which the most common one we have in the States is Cytomel. It's also a synthetic or doing a combo, which most of the time is going to be something like a desiccated thyroid where it, it's actually a glandular that comes from a pig. Um, and that's typically called nature thyroid or some variation of that. So, uh, you know, and what I can tell you for, for whatever reason, there's like no rhyme or reason for this, but some people do better on the synthetics and some people do better on the non-synthetics, like the glandulars. And it, it just, there's really no reason why. <laughs> it's just some people respond to one synthetic better versus a different one. And the, the frustrating thing about medications and supplements for any thyroid patient, maybe you can speak to this, Lori, is that, you know, when you start a new thyroid regimen, you have to give it like six weeks because like your thyroid's like a ship slowly moving in the night. And if you try to change it before that six week period, it's just like, 
ships passing in the night and you'll miss it. So you have to give it six weeks for your body to kind of catch up to that dose or to that type of thyroid support and figure out if it's a good fit or not. Oh, you have to have you. Patience is a virtue when you're trying, when you're dealing with your thyroid, you just have to wait and see. And, yeah. and I'm one of those people that falls into the category where I couldn't do the, the cytomel. I couldn't do the synthroid. I, you know, I was, I broke out in hives, rashes. It didn't work mm-hmm. for me. It didn't help my symptoms. And, and I see that in my clients, what works for amazing for one doesn't necessarily work right. the same way for the next. But I do find that you have to be super patient and, and we don't have a lot of patience when we're not feeling good. Right. And that's, that's the problem when you're tired, especially some of the hypo symptoms, mm-hmm. you want results and you want them now. And that's right. where I see people give up too quickly or change too quickly, too fast. Right. And sometimes you also need like supplemental support at the same time to help with those pathways and conversions. It's like having cofactors or, you know, things that are going to actually make the pathway move better. And, and a lot of times, you know, there, there's a huge overlap between hypothyroidism and adrenal dysfunction. They look almost identical. Uh, and it can be really challenging to tell the difference unless you're looking at labs. And oftentimes they occur together, right? Because they're both part of the endocrine system. And if one organ or one um, hormonal pathway in the endocrine system gets out of whack, it'll kind of throw off all the other ones. And it's, it's really common. There is this thing that they talk about in naturopathic medicine. And of course, this is the type of thing that makes people be like, oh, those woo-woo doctors, <laughs> right? <laughs> but like, there is this thing that you do kind of tend to see a pattern in the dysfunction of the endocrine organs. And it usually is from bottom to top. And so oftentimes you'll see like, oh, this person started getting some adrenal dysfunction and then, oh, they started having some like gonadal dysfunction, right? Because their libido's down, their fertility changes, which is a natural response to stress. Then their blood sugar, their pancreas starts getting kind of funky. And then, oh, their thyroid starts getting weird. And you like kind of see this evolution, uh, evolution go through the body. But yeah, I think that's the other piece is that we're missing a lot is that if you don't have the groundwork, if your adrenals are completely trashed, it's going to be really hard to recover your thyroid as well. Well, And in in my book, the chapter is check your hats and it's Mm -hmm. H-A-T, hormones, adrenal and thyroid. Yeah. And that's what I think everybody goes into attacking just the thyroid and that's the only focus and that's the one that they want to treat. And that's but if your hormones are off, is, is, right. and we see that with women heading into perimenopause and menopause, it could be hormonal. And I mean, it's all attached, but we don't learn that. No one teaches us that. So we don't know to ask the questions right. or we need to see the, the proper medical professionals that are actually looking at the bigger picture of all of the systems, all of it. Right. It's all attached. It's all intertwined. It is. And you and I know that we all know that, right? We all know that we're one body (laughs) and that everything's connected and that your hormones can affect your gut and your gut can affect your hormones. Like we all know it's connected. The problem is that medicine has for so long been, been applied in a very compartmental way that it's like, oh, we're just looking at your thyroid and we're just looking, you know, and instead of realizing that all of this really goes together and having an expert on your team who can kind of fit all those pieces together and make sense of that, I think is critical. Well, and we, I know a lot about hypo because I am hypo. What about hyper? What, how do you treat that? What's the, what's the medication? We'll, we'll go there first. Uh, well, so there's a couple different things. So if we're talking about like Graves disease, 
I can tell you, I can tell you that I really don't see this very often. Like it's, I think in the time I've been practicing, I've had two patients mm-hmm. who have had it. <laughs> so and I've, and I've been doing this for 30 years. And I think through my whole history of coaching clients and I've had thousands, I think I've had one client that has had Graves disease. Yeah. It's, it's really not very common. Uh, at least comparatively. So the main prescriptions, and I don't know if they use the same names in Canada, so don't hold me to that. But um, the main one I see is methimazole. That's the big one on the market. Um, it's also called tapazole. The other one is propylthiouracil, which like they just come up with the most ridiculous things for <laughs> medications, don't they? But those are like considered the more first choice there is a little bit of concern with the propylthiouracil um, causing increased risk of liver disease, which is probably why we see methimazole being used so much more. Um, it's just a little bit safer. In my patients, though, a lot of the, I mean, again, a lot of people who come to see me are coming to see me because they either don't want to be on medication or they want to lower their need for it, right? Mm-hmm. So like of the two people that I've seen, in six years who had graves. <laughs> uh, I think only one of them was on medication and she was on it in a way that like she would go on it and then have to come off it because it would drive her so far into hypo that she'd have to come off it. So she, it's kind of this like fluctuation and bouncing, which is kind of a nightmare. And then usually the, the bigger issue is like, it's the antibodies, right? So I treat the antibodies using natural methods to try to drive those down. Um, and it does work pretty well. I actually have a patient. She came to see me when I think she was 12. Her parents brought her in to see me. And she was the classic like textbook Graves case. And if you ever look up, like if you just Google what Graves looks like, this is what's going to show up. <laughs> and nothing's ever textbook in, in mm-hmm. medicine ever, right? But this girl comes in. She was super tall, super skinny. She hadn't started her period yet. She couldn't put on any weight. And she, her eyes looked like they were bugging out of the front of her face, which that's like characteristic graves. It's almost like you have so much thyroid that it's like pushing your eyes forward in your skull. And I was like, oh man, this chick has graves. And like her doctors never tested her for it. Like they just ran her TSH and T4. So I ran all of her hormones and her autoimmune uh, antibodies were just like off the charts, like sky high. (laughs) And I was like, wow, like you were really, you were really failed by the medical system here, but it's fine because we found it. And she's now 16 and she stayed off medication because we caught it and we were able to do enough of the natural stuff to kind of keep, and I'm not saying this works for everybody, but we were able to do enough to keep her antibodies down and they, you know, her whole family committed to a dietary change to support her. And, and she's been really successful, you know, and she's, she's open to the idea that she may have to go on medication someday, but they're trying to do what they can to keep that postponed as long as possible. Well, and I get chills when you tell that story, because I think of, of seeing a woman in her forties that should have been diagnosed when she was 12 yeah. to 16. Oh yeah. The struggles that people have for decades because Mm -hmm. we're told we're normal and to catch it that early is such a success because now that, that girl who will be a woman soon, at least she knows what to to look for. She has medical professionals that actually have diagnosed her, know that they have to, you know, monitor it. It's not going to be something that just goes away. Right. Uh, and that just, oh, that just warms my heart that that happens because it doesn't, it, we are failed quite often. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. 
you know, and I, and I talk about that a lot. I think I might've talked about that last time I was on here is that like, I don't, I don't genuinely think that it is like the fault of the medical providers. I think it's the tools that they're given and the framework in which they're allowed to practice that fails people truthfully. Well, and there are, they can only prescribe so that that's right. where you're getting the medication. Let's talk about the other end of it, which is dietary changes, supplementation. Yeah. Let's go hypo or Hashimoto's. What are some of the things that we can do beyond medication? So nutritionally, and, and I already kind of said this, but I say this for pretty much all of my autoimmune patients, whether they're rheumatoid arthritis or SLE or Sjogren's or any of those is like, they've got to be gluten-free. And I was not always on the gluten-free bandwagon, <laughs> but like it really, really, really does cause a lot of cross-reactivity in people who are autoimmune. And if you're trying to get it under control, that's one of the best, most foundational things that you can do. And it's a big deal to tell people that, right? Like diet is the hardest thing for people to change. I know you know that. <laughs> I know you've seen that in all of the people you work with. It's the hardest thing, but it also can make the biggest difference, right? And so I pretty much have all my autoimmunes, whether they're Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, go gluten-free. Um, we're usually trying to do an anti-inflammatory style diet. And so that is going to naturally include glutens. It's going to be more low grain versus high grain and not necessarily no grain, just low grain. I usually, and this is kind of patient to patient, but dairy tends to be fairly inflammatory for a lot of people. So if they have other things that kind of make me think there's a dairy sensitivity going on, like they're really phlegmy, they're really mucousy, inflamed, things like that, then I'll usually take them off of that as well. Soy is a problem, unfortunately. Like soy has a lot of really good aspects to it too. And, you know, I think that I don't think soy is the devil, <laughs> but eating high, high amounts of soy can actually inhibit one of the enzyme pathways that's important for making thyroid hormone. And so it can actually get in the way and has been cited in a number of research studies as possibly being an early contributing factor to people who develop an autoimmune thyroid if they're just eating a ton of it. Um, and that also makes, you know, the idea of, if we go way back in time, soy-based baby formulas, right? Or things like that, we have to be careful of. So soy is certainly something to be careful of. Um, I generally find that people who have Hashimoto's or Graves need to be on a lean fat protein type diet. It's really good for them to have good protein in their body because we need protein to make hormones. We need protein to heal the body. Um, so those are kind of my like, and those are, those are big parameters for most people. That's like only four things, but it's a big deal to tell somebody to be gluten-free and maybe dairy-free and like low inflammatory, which means not a lot of alcohol, not a lot of sugar, right? Good. Pro I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a, I'm just going to suffer like, sorry. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's hard. And it's also one of those things you have to continuously train that it's not mm -hmm. like you can just be all of those things, right. we, we fall back into old habits too. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm a case of that where I'll go a long time keeping my sugars down, being gluten-free, being dairy-free. And then all of a sudden I creep back into the occasional tortilla wrapper that's right. not and the occasional bit of cheese and you know right. different things where then it gets thrown off again. And you're right. like, oh, shoot, I, I, I like a muscle. I got to keep training it. I got to keep Right. Well, and it's probably even for like, I'm sure for you, it's like, and I really do believe this, like it, it, your body should be able to handle that every once in a while I had the tortilla wrap, right? Mm -hmm. 
it's the problem is that when we do that, just as human beings, the snowball effect takes place. And so it's never just one, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's that. And then you had this and then you had, cause like the first time you, you reintroduced it, it was like, Oh, it went okay. So maybe you can continue doing that. But if you keep doing that, then you start building up the inflammation in your body. And then that inflammation is an immune mediated response. So if you turn up inflammation, you're turning up the immune system, which is a problem in autoimmunity. So it, it is like a constant kind of just like ebb and flow and reminder and learning to adapt a new lifestyle instead of, oh, well, I have to, I have to take all these things away and my diet is going to be so deficient because it doesn't have to be, right? It's really focusing more on the things that are promoting to your health and how to cook in a different way that's going to be really nourishing and self-serving. It's, it's the inside out, right? We, yeah, we want to have a great physique, but we, want, we have to balance these things. We have to balance. I mean, if, you're, if your thyroid's off, and say you are Hashimoto's or hypo, I can give you all the tools with programming and, and a diet per se, your body isn't going to respond if we don't right. get it balanced with the right things. Right. What about supplementation? Oh, I love supplements in this area. <laughs> I think they can do so, so much. So there's a couple things that I usually think about. If there's, there's more options for hypo, just kind of across the board. So maybe I'll talk about hyper first because it's quicker. Mm -hmm. If I'm working with somebody who's hyper, they're almost... I mean, again, I've only had a couple. They tend to be graves. Um, and so there are things that can actually work really well to help bring down those antibodies, the autoimmune antibodies. One of them that is very specific to hyperthyroidism, graves, is the plant lemon balm. And I just want to say as a caveat on here, while I am a doctor, anybody listening, I'm not your doctor. And so like, be careful. <laughs> Don't just go like buy this stuff and start taking it, right? Like, because it is something you can buy very easily over the counter, but you need to make sure you're using it appropriately and that it's not uh, interfering with anything else. But lemon balm is this beautiful plant. It's part of the mint family. It grows like a weed. It smells so fresh and citrusy. It's, it's delightful. I grow it every year and put it in my tea. It's so wonderful. Um, and it has a lot of medicinal properties to it. It actually is really great in anxiety and depression. It's an antiviral. It's, it's awesome. But it has this very unique ability to inhibit the hyperthyroid antibodies that are found in graves. And that's actually what I've used that and a couple other things is what I used in that patient I talked about, that 12-year-old who I was working with. She does a really high dose of it that we monitor, that we watch with some other things, and it helps drive down. It inhibits the antibodies, so it keeps them from attacking her thyroid, which is amazing. <laughs> and it tastes great. It's like awesome. It's like the best of it's the best. It's, it tastes great. And so that can work really, really well. Uh, the other thing that is used both in hyper and hypo to help drive down antibodies is selenium. Um, and nobody like ever talks about these, but like selenium works so well. It's an, it's a natural nutrient that we need in our bodies anyway for so many different body processes, but selenium helps inhibit the antibody life basically. And so it can also be really, really good at inhibiting them in the body and controlling hypo or hyperthyroidism. So those are my like big antibody ones. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about just hypo, slow, sluggish thyroid, not necessarily like if, if it, if it turns from a hypo into a Hashimoto's, then I'm just making sure there's selenium there pretty much and that they're gluten-free. But if we're just talking about a sluggish thyroid, couple different things. And this is where like my brain goes into three different pieces, right? Because <laughs> I'm like, okay, is it thyroid? Is it adrenal? Or is it mitochondrial? And that depends on running that full lab panel. 
because I need to know where in the pathway things are screwy, right? So the first things that I'm typically going to think about if is like, okay, is it getting into the cells? That tends to be a problem for people. So if it's not getting into the body cells, we're thinking about mitochondria, which are the little bug-looking structures inside your cells that make ATP. And it's really easy to wipe those guys out. Like if you had COVID, if you had any other kind of viral infection, if you had food poisoning, like any of those things can kind of wipe out your energy stores, which is why we get so tired and it takes a long time to recover. So if I'm doing that, I'm thinking very, very foundational nutrient therapy, like CoQ10, carnitine. Um, I'm usually doing some kind of like vitamin A. Uh, There is some thought that vitamin A can actually help push the hormone inside of the cell. Um, The dosage on that can really vary depending on what you're reading in the literature. And vitamin A is also something you do need to be careful with because it is a fat-soluble vitamin which means it will accumulate in the body. And it is a known teratogen, which basically means if you have a ton of it on board and you get pregnant, it can cause birth defects. So you have to be careful. That's like the whole thing about Retin-A, like why they check your liver and they tell you not to get pregnant because it's high dose vitamin A. So you have to be working with somebody who knows what they're doing. Selenium is important. And then zinc is important. Zinc also helps push the conversion of T4 into T3. So our more active hormone. And then we're just using all those nutrients to support our ATP production so we can actually get them inside the cells. Okay. So <laughs> I know it sounds like a lot. <laughs> it does. It does, but I love it. I could, I could talk about this forever. I love it because it's important and you, you, yes, you need somebody by your side helping you, you know, yeah. in terms of the proper medical profession, but it's also nice to hear it and know these terms and know these words. So when you do go in, you hit the ground running when you go in and you find your great naturopathic doctor and you're like, Hey, I know about selenium. I know about, it's good to do your research. Yeah. I mean, and there's so many other things like, you know, using iodine when you should use it, when you shouldn't. Um, In my practice, I don't typically just go straight towards iodine. I would use a very particular type of seaweed that's known to be really high in iodine and restorative to the thyroid versus just kind of replacing lost iodine. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that are out there that can help with either the thyroid making more T4 or helping T4 get converted to T3 or helping the hormones actually get into the cells. So it's so much more complicated than just what is your TSH, right? It's not just the number. It's like where in the pathway are things messed up? And then we have to build a plan around that. And like I said, most of my patients also have some adrenal fatigue going on. Um, Most of them aren't sleeping well. Most of them are stressed out. It's very common. And like, again, this is never going to be written in the research, right? But I see this all the time that people with hypo, especially Hashimoto's, tend to be people who don't know how to say no. So they'll take on way too much. They'll take on too many tasks. People will always ask them for help because they know they'll always say yes. And so these people tend to be just very, very depleted, which makes sense. They're not like, they're just like pouring everything out. So their body can't even nourish itself. (laughs) So there's like not only a conversation about medications or supplements or diet, but also this piece of like, you need to figure out some boundaries and learn how to say no and make space for yourself to be nourished in your own like energy. Well, and, and your doctor, say your doctor is treating you for hypo because I, I have a lot of, of clients that that happens. You're not being told all of this other stuff. You're not no, being told to not. change the, the lifestyle, to say no more, to sleep better, to watch your adrenals. Like there, you, here's your medication. Here's mm-hmm. your dose. Call me when you need a refill. And, mm-hmm. and that's where it is important to look at all of, because you, with that 12 year old patient that you had, 
you haven't had to use go the medication route mm-hmm. yet. It doesn't mean that it's ruled out right. forever, but you might be able to look at nutrition, changing your lifestyle, adding some supplementation, you know, properly dosing that and when yeah. to take it. And then you can go down the rabbit hole of medication after all of those. Even me being on medication, it's not the end all be all. I still need to look at supplementation, my nutrition protocols and changing my lifestyle as well. Oh yeah. Like I, and again, I really think that thyroid medication is super benign. And I think that like, you know, if if there's a medication I'm going to recommend and feel good about, it's going to be thyroid medication. Mm -hmm. But all of my patients will say whether they're on medication or not, like their stress level affects their thyroid levels, which affects how they feel. And it's so congruent. It's like if, if, you know, their stress level goes up, if their cortisol level starts to go up, oh man, it's like game over. (laughs) Like it doesn't matter if they're on medication because now you've added a new factor that's going to swing their numbers and they're going to need to change their medication. And then as soon as they can like really bring in that mindset piece, that lifestyle piece of just trying to de-stress, start starting to hand things off, saying no more, everything gets so much more stable and their medication gets stable or their dose can go down or maybe they can come off their dose and they can manage it just with nutrition and supplements. I mean, that is like the biggest thing. And nobody's going to talk about that. That's never going to be in any research paper. (laughs) But it's so true. Well, and they don't tell you that it's it's not a linear process. It's not like, Lori, here, it's for sure T3, T4 Mm -hmm. combo. This is what you're going to be on. You're doing this whole zigzag effect where you're constantly having to be retested Mm-hmm. making sure, you know, and when I was dealing with anxiety last year, right away, it was be go, go get sent for blood work because you don't know if you're being tossed into hyper all of a sudden because you're, right. you're on too much. So you really do need to constantly be monitoring it. Mm-hmm. And then also monitoring everything that you're doing around the, the medications, because as soon as I get super stressed out, my thyroid gets knocked out of whack mm-hmm. and I'm on medication. So it, yeah. it's one of those things. It's so temperamental. It's not going to be that straight road ahead of uh, now I know my exact dose and this is what I'm going to be on for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's it, I think that's really great. You said that because like most other medications we think about, they kind of come in and they, they set a point and you just kind of stay there. Right. Thyroid is not that way because thyroid isn't the thyroid medications aren't trying to interrupt a pathway like a beta blocker or another antihypertensive might, right. They're not an anti something. They're just hormones. That's it. Like it's just trying to give your body the hormone it needs. And your body, when it's normally doing its own kind of thyroid thing naturally, like when it's functioning by itself, that's going to fluctuate. Like the amount of thyroid you need at any given moment is going to fluctuate depending on what else is happening in your body. And so if you're giving your body thyroid and it's a set amount, what your body needs could still be changing right? (laughs) It's a totally different thing. And you can be chasing it around, which, which is why it's so important in these people. And if this is true for everybody, not just thyroid people, but it just is so much more obvious in thyroid people, why lifestyle is so important and figuring out how to like, just find some more Zen and have a practice that helps balance things out. Well, and when you do keep all of that in check, you can rule that out. I am staying low in gluten. Mm -hmm. I am staying low on sugar. I'm, you know, I'm doing all the practices in terms of keeping my stress levels down. So when my thyroid goes out of whack, I know it's the medication doing that. It's not necessarily my lack of sleep or my stressed out adrenals. I know, Hey, I've got my lifestyle. It's rolling. I'm on my supplementation. Everything's good over here. Mm -hmm. Now we know we can look at the dose of the medication and, and adjust that. 
Yep. Yeah. And so now what would be, because we could, we could sit and talk for hours. We could do a whole medical series on this. What would be what you would say to someone that's, that is feeling like it's off and they've been told by medical professionals in, in the conventional stream, what do you do? I would say you need to find a practitioner who will agree to, how do I want to say this? I was going to say, find somebody who's a little bit more (laughs) open-minded, but find somebody who like is either more open-minded or isn't caught under the restraints of a system that doesn't allow them to actually look at you as a whole person. So you need to find somebody. And it, and I always feel like it is worth trying to interview your doctors, right? It's like all any person who wants to work with me as a patient, I do a free 15-minute discovery call with. Every single person, I will get on the phone with them and hear what's going on and tell them if I'm, a, if I'm the right person for them or not, right? And make sure that they're the right person for me. And we talked about that before. But I think that's the first thing is interview people and say, hey, I really feel like something's going on. I have worked with other providers. They have run these tests. I want this bigger set of tests, you know? And people really, unfortunately, have to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I would say, like, write these hormones down. You want TSH, free T3, free T4, reverse T3, And you probably want your antibodies, which are your TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies. There's one other if you're Graves, which is TSIG. But there's a lot, you know, they'll kind of go into that if you have other stuff looking kind of weird. So you need to find somebody who's willing to run those. um, And you need to ideally be finding somebody who, you know, I don't want to rule out medical providers because there are medical providers out there who will do this and who believe in this and who know how to look at this more in depth. But You need to find somebody who will look at it from more of a functional medicine perspective, who will take your symptoms into account and look at the whole picture. So I obviously I'm biased towards my field. I think naturopathic doctors are experts at thyroid. I truly believe that. I think that they do thyroid almost better than anybody else because they look at everything and they understand how it affects the whole picture. But I think you can find some really great functional medicine MDs or osteopaths who do the exact same thing. So it's all about interviewing, right? And finding that person. Well, and I, I talked about this the last time you were on because I'm really lucky. I've had a lot of doctors in the past that put me in the normal box and pushed me aside. I did some interviewing. I found a great female doctor who knows that she can't treat me. And when she looks at my blood work, will say, I think you need to make a naturopath appointment. Yeah. And she even said when she was in medical school, she said, wouldn't it be great if we had this hybrid system where doctors and naturopaths can work together and we can have some of this back end treating the symptoms like where where they can work together and she said that other doctors especially older teachers professors looked at her like she was an alien mm-hmm. like that's never going to happen we think they're a bunch of quacks over here and they think we're a bunch of scientists that are aren't going to stray from x numbers And I love that she will actually, all my blood work goes right to my naturopath and she'll highlight it and say, you're in the zone for me, but I I'm red flagging it. Make sure you get in and see your naturopath and they work together, which doesn't Mm -hmm. happen very often, but which is slowly changing. I am seeing. I hope that is true. I have to tell you, Lori. So I'm on, I'm on the, the board of our association for Colorado and 
we, so we can't prescribe in the state of Colorado currently. It's something we've been working towards for a long time. And we really want to be able to prescribe thyroid because like we know how to use thyroid. And I'm hoping that just in the last 45 minutes, I've like displayed that I know something about thyroid. But basically when we go (laughs) sit at the table with our MD counterparts, they have straight up said like, we don't want you to have thyroid because you don't understand what it is. Like all you, like you don't even know how to interpret labs And like, it's like this really (laughs) like blows my mind that there's just this competitive misunderstanding about our ability to just help people, you know, like we should all just be working together to help people. So unfortunately it does fall on the person, on the consumer, on the patient, on the client, um, whatever kind of title you want to go under. But like, unfortunately it really does fall on them to find the provider that is going to align with their own belief and need and desire to look into things. Well, and you kind of have to be like a bossy bitch sometimes. Uh And I am, I'll go in and I'll say, make sure you write check Lori's T S H. And then Uh I actually have to, I know exactly how the system works. So I know Mm -hmm. as soon as I fall in the normal range, they're going to say, sorry, we're not testing T3. We're not testing T4. We're not testing anything else. Yep. So I've learned in that system. When I see my doctor, she then has to type on the little requisition even when her TSH falls within the normal zone, I want you to still test T3, T4, whatever. Right. And we we have like verbiage, like exactly how it's supposed to be written because I, I've been sent away again. Yep. Sorry, no, that's not good enough. She needs to say this. She needs to say that. She even has to write on it and the patient is willing to pay out of pocket. She's standing right. in front of you. Let her take her bank card out, test it. But to get to that point took me years. It took me years. Which is crazy to me, right? Like it's your blood. It's your blood. You should get to decide what you want tested with that. And they would say, well, no, then you have to pay extra. And when you're not feeling well, take my credit card and charge me whatever the heck you want. That's going to get me the numbers and the answers that I need. And I think they think that we're going to, we're trying to get a free ride and we're trying to like, we're asking what's going on with our internal systems and not to just test one thing when we right. know it's a bigger picture. But I, I mean, I bet you I was like the bitch of all bitches every time I walked into that life labs testing center, because they're like, here she goes again. But mm-hmm. I had to really advocate for myself to my doctor, to the life labs, to the blood work people to make sure that I was getting the answers that I wanted. Well, and you know what's interesting about it? So the way that I run labs here, because I'm not covered by insurance, I basically have like a partnership or an agreement worked out with the labs that I work with that helps secure a cheaper rate for my patients. It's like the uninsured cash patient rate. And like, you know, if I were to run a full thyroid panel on my patients, which is like, let's just say I started at those first four. So like the TSH, the free T3, free T4 and reverse T3, those would be under... 50 bucks, under 50 bucks. Like it's not that, you know, it's, it's like, that's why I tend to tell patients. It's like, you know, they're, they're kind of unfortunately stuck in this paradigm of insurance and they're like, Oh, I'd rather run this through my insurance. And I'm like, okay, well you can do that. That's fine. I'm telling you, you're going to go to their provider. You're going to show them this list I've given you. They're going to only run these two labs. And then you're going to have to come back here anyway, because I have to run the other ones. <laughs> you know, like, so 50 bucks, I can order this right now and we can get these in a week. Or you have to go play this game with your other provider who may not be able to see you for a month. Who's probably not going to run what we need to run anyway. You know, it's like, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's like, there, there are better ways to treat people. And there are ways that aren't that expensive 
to do some of this. But yeah, I mean, I'm just floored by that all the time. Like you should not have to go pay a ton of money out of pocket to have this, like these simple tests run. Well, and it, I mean, I get, we pay money for a lot of things, great Mm -hmm. new iPhones, fancy new clothes, the new shoes, you know, the best running Mm -hmm. shoes. Up here, it's about $400 to have like the full blood work panel if you go through a naturopath. Now you can question that and you can say that's too costly and it depends from person to person. Uh, but it's you're not questioning, you're not fighting, you're not having to go back and forth, drive back and forth to the, the blood work labs, go see your doctor again because you're not being properly tested. So it could be years later that you're just like, why didn't I just pay the $400 and right. get it all at once? So when I deal with my clients, I'll, I'll say to them, listen, go to your doctor, get your blood work. I want to see the numbers. Mm-hmm. So even when they tell you, because I know what to look for, right. I can be like, you're kind of on the far end over here. Like I, you're barely in the normal zone. Right. Then we know that, you know what, I think it's time to go naturopathic medicine route. I know lifestyle changes that I can help them with, but I really want to tap deeper. And like you said, there's so many other things that need to be looked at. And I'm not the medical professional to do that. So I work with people's naturopaths to make sure that we are finding answers and let's not take years to get there. Like it took me or many other people pay the 400 bucks, get the extensive labs done. Don't buy the fancy new iPhone for a little bit to budget and make that money back. And it's your health. It's your well-being. It's it's a game changer. I mean, thyroid thyroid really is like turning on the lights for people when they don't have enough. It's like suddenly, you know, the weight they've never been able to lose, they can start to lose the energy that they've never had to just get up. They have the, the, you know, it's like they go from not being able to like think clearly and being foggy and tired all the time to like on their, I mean, it, it is a game changer for sure. (laughs) And it can be so quick. And a lot of us think that that's how we're supposed to feel. Oh, I'm, I'm this tired because I'm a busy mom. I'm juggling right. kids. I'm juggling career. I had a deadline at work. So that's why I feel this way. We think that that's normal until mm-hmm. we actually get to operate on all cylinders. Yep. And for me, I lose a lot of money if I'm not working in my mm-hmm. optimal, exactly how I'm supposed to be. And I'm too tired and my brain's foggy. It's going to affect my performance as a coach and working even my performance as a mother or a friend, mm-hmm. or it just, it affects so much of our life. But we're so comfortable in the fact that we're just all supposed to feel this way. We're all supposed to yep. be tired. Yeah. I mean, th- so if I have anybody walk into my office, like first time I see them and they are either tired, like their energy level's low, they are having memory issues, they're having trouble losing weight, they are depressed, they're anxious, like any of those things, I'm testing thyroid. <laughs> like automatically we're like, Oh, okay. Well, let's test thyroid. And then we also test some other things, right? It's like, Oh, maybe it's anemia. Maybe it's adrenal fatigue, but like thyroid is so commonly an issue that can so easily be fixed or, or managed, right. That like, it is absolutely worth checking. That can be the thing that changes your game. That can be the thing that changes how you show up, how you walk into a boardroom, how you show up for your kids, how you show up for your spouse. Like that can change so much for people. Well, and when I have new clients come to me, that's one of the things that I look for too, all of those mm-hmm. symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I will, that's the first thing I say is when was the last time you had your blood work checked? 
And for most people, they've never have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're like, um, no, like I'm, you know, I'm 35. Like, why would I need, I feel like it should be fine. But when you look at all of the symptoms they're listing, especially when they're coming to me, because usually when they're coming to me, it's that frustration of trying everything and not being able to lose weight. Oh, me too. (laughs) Right. And so all of a sudden they think I have this magic wand and, and I, I say to them, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Right. If something's off with your thyroid, I can do, I can jump through hoops, giving you programming and nutrition. It doesn't mean it's going to work. Right. So we need to make sure that that's working. I think that uh, brings up just a good thing to know. If you are somebody who's about to kind of go down this road and try to figure out what's happening with your thyroid, if there are some numbers that look a little bit off, you're probably going to need to get those checked more often than once a year, right? Like if you're trying to lock in your thyroid and you're actively doing therapy to try to fix it, whether it's medications or supplement or whatever, you're probably going to be monitoring it at most once every six weeks, but quite possible, but like maybe even if we go a little bit longer, like I might stretch that out to once every three months for my patients, if we're just trying to kind of get it locked in. And then once it's locked in, you don't have to monitor it as much. But I just think people like should be aware of that. This isn't like a your annual set of labs that you do one time and see what's happening. <laughs> you know, I, I, go, I go too much. Every time I show up at my doctor's to ask for more blood work, she's like, if I get audited, they're going to be like, why are you sending this girl again? Yeah. So that's why you, when you have a naturopath, at least you can, like you said, it was, it's pretty cheap. It's affordable yeah. with, with what you have. And if yeah. it's going to give you the right path and, and get you going in, in the direction you need to go, it's worth it. I mean, it's going to be a game changer once you can get it rolling and working on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to do the rapid fire that I always okay, do. Okay, great. I didn't prep this time. So here and keep talking about this, but I mean, <laughs> I think we gave the goods of what I wanted to give in yeah. terms of not overwhelming everybody. We can understand a little bit more because we hear the term hypothyroidism. Mm-hmm. We, I, a lot of my clients know TSH, but they have no clue what they should be asking yeah. to be tested. And I mean, they didn't know that there was supplementation beyond having to be on medication. Like there's other things that we can work on. So yeah. we're going to do rock and rapid fire. Let's do it. Ready? You're in a movie. There's a movie about your life. Who, what actress plays you? Emma Watson. Oh, that's good. Yes. I love that is her. so accurate. That is so accurate. <laughs> Uh, you didn't watch the Oscars last night. I didn't. You didn't. But if you were to go to the Oscars, what color would your dress be? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> My initial thought was black, mm-hmm. but maybe You're- it'd be all white and like, I don't know. Like a wedding dress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the color that you have on right now is really awesome. That's Thank like an you. Emma Watson color. Like I a- do really well in jewel tones. Yeah, like deep, a- deep emerald greens yeah. and... Yeah, That's awesome. for sure. What's your favorite movie of all time? Garden State. Garden State. What's that? It's a little indie film that was directed and written by Zach Braff. It's great. It has uh, Zach Braff. It has Natalie Portman in it um, when she was really young. <laughs> it's just like I have sat down with other people to watch it and we'll get done. And they're like, I don't get why this is your favorite movie. But I <laughs> just love it so much. Like there's these moments that when they happen in there, it's like I feel my like it just hits my soul. And I'm like, <sighs> <sighs> so we all that. need we need that. We need a movie yeah. like that. 
How long does it take you to get ready in the morning? It takes so much longer than it should. (laughs) (laughs) I usually wake up about three hours before I need to be at my office, but I walk my dog every morning, which is like a half an hour walk. I make breakfast. I like, I can definitely get ready faster, but I tend to be somebody who who is, I'm an anxious person. And so I kind of shifted to this place of just taking a lot more time with my morning. Like I always make a cup of tea and I just kind of slowly drink it while I'm puttering around the house and maybe I'll do the dishes. And so like I could get ready quickly if I needed to, but I take about two and a half hours probably. Oh man, tech glitches happen. And it looks like we lost the last five minutes of our recording today, but don't worry. Dr. Kelsey's going to be back for more sassy and fun topics real soon. Thanks for listening, friends. so much for listening friends if you want more tips and tricks on rocking your life and rocking your body be sure to check out my website lorimork.com or follow me on instagram at lori.mork be sure to subscribe to this podcast where each and every week we're going to release new episodes with down and dirty topics some wicked guests more badassery and just have a kick-ass time together And if anyone has a problem with it, they can kiss my curvy assets.